0: When you think of Jesus, you probably think of kind, loving, compassionate, tender, strong, powerful. But would you ever think to use the word genius when describing Jesus? Hi, I'm Ben. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio. Our next guest is Peter J. Williams. He's written this book called The Surprising Genius of of Jesus. And when studied in detail... Jesus' teachings, his interactions with so many reveal a combination of profound wisdom, verbal dexterity, simplicity, and creativity. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 15 tonight. As we look at the story of the prodigal son. That's really quite interesting because Luke chapter 15 is maybe the longest story I think attributed to Jesus. It's 388 words long in the Greek original language. But it combines this this simplicity on the surface with several coherent layers of deeper meaning for, for those of us reading it as Christians. And most people know this as the parable of the prodigal son. But Peter calls it the story of the two sons. And it's really quite interesting, Peter. First of all, welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. And as I'm reading Luke chapter 15 these three different parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son, which we're going to focus on, all really one big story because the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, right? But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus started telling the parables.
1: Yeah,
2: well, it's absolutely great to be with you. And they really are part of one story. They're even called one parable. I see the... The uh, story of the sheep, lost sheep and the lost coin is really building up to the longest story, that's of the two sons, because the sheep is lost going away from home and the coin is lost at home. We then have a story of a son lost going away from home and then the final bit about a son at home. And it's implying, of course, that that son at home, the older brother, is lost too.
0: Hmm. Let's talk about the audience. Let's start off with the audience, because the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. What, what do you picture this, this moment like?
2: Well, we've got four groups, really. There are tax collectors who uh, take your hard-earned money to pay for the Romans to oppress you. You've got sinners who are so right. good at sinning, they get it as their label. And um, Pharisees, who's spend their time trying to separate from sin, but not always successful, <laughs> uh, and, and scribes who spend their time copying out the Bible. So I'd expect there'd be two groups who really know the Bible well and two groups who really don't, and Jesus manages to teach both sets simultaneously at
0: their level. Right, and he uses this, this surprising genius of Jesus to interact with them and challenge every single one of those people that you just mentioned.
2: That's right. So he tells a story that if you don't know anything about the Bible whatsoever, will make a lot of sense and will be deeply touching. Uh, And uh, whether you feel that you're a a runaway, as many of those would have felt from your father, from God, uh, or if you feel self-righteous. But actually, it also works at a deeper level. If you do know the Bible, it's filled with scripture references.
0: Mm. And so we're talking about the genius, the surprising genius of Jesus. Peter J. Williams is our guest on afternoons with Bill Arnold here on Faith Radio. What the gospels reveal about the greatest teacher. So uh we're 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 basically we're sitting down with Jesus, you're putting us right here in this story, and and we're talking about the four different groups that are there listening and, and trying to understand what's going on. What is Jesus trying to get across when he realizes who he's talking to?
2: Well, he's getting across different messages so for those who are like a runaway son and the first 62 percent of the story is about that runaway son he's telling them about the welcome back that they will have and for those who are self-righteous and hard-working and and feel that um runaway shouldn't be allowed back uh he has a lot of um criticism and challenge because ultimately uh the story ends not telling you how the older brother responds uh, and that's like an invitation to those who are feeling uh, self-righteous, like the older brother, um, that they do need to come in and respond.
0: Do you think all four groups are perplexed as he's starting to and, and continuing to tell these stories? What, what do you think is going through their mind?
2: I think that the uh, tax collectors and sinners are hearing him gladly and they are welcoming the fact that they can be welcomed. Sure. I think the Pharisees at first are on the side. They love the bit. That this runaway son ends up feeding pigs so that he gets Jesus gets them emotionally on the side before the story turns around and really challenges them because it shows how they are like a self-righteous older brother who's missing out on the party
0: mm. Why does Jesus tell stories this way?
2: Well I think stories are the most powerful uh, way of communicating they're very memorable. And there's a level in which there's, of course, hidden meaning in Jesus's story and that you have to search. So Jesus says, seek and you will find. So he actually makes it so people have to want to follow and want to understand in order for them to understand. Hmm.
0: Peter J. Williams is our guest on Afternoons with Bill Arnold, the surprising genius of Jesus. And I, I had this question, Peter, before we started this conversation Um and on the back of your book, it says that maybe few would think that the first word to describe Jesus would be genius. But Jesus is all God and all knowing. So, of course, he's really smart.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. In Luke's gospel, we're told on two occasions that he grew in wisdom. Now, that's a bit of a mystery to us because right. we say, well, how can that be the case uh, when he's God? And and the Bible doesn't explain all of that. But I do think that Jesus um, studied scriptures and and learnt them at the same time as as God. He knows everything. Hmm.
0: So as as we're breaking down these four people, we've talked about the tax collectors and the sinners and the Pharisees and the teachers. Um, the tax collectors and the sinners, as they're listening to these stories, and you said they're they're accepting and, and loving these stories because how he's teaching them. Uh, nobody probably talked to them, obviously, like Jesus did, and and it was probably so unexpected that he did talk to them and show them such love.
2: Well, yes, I mean, because tax collectors are are really, they're taking hard-earned money, which might be donated to the temple otherwise, and they're giving it to pay for the Romans to make their soldiers oppress you. So um, the, you can understand why we wouldn't really like tax collectors. We don't like them nowadays, uh, but certainly they wouldn't like them back then. And so for them to be able to be told that they can have access to God is a, is a, an amazing thing.
0: Hmm. And, then, and then the sinners, too. You probably, you know, you can just run an entire list of sins. And as they're coming and listening to Jesus, they had to be, they had to have just this, this voracious appetite to... I don't know, to seek forgiveness and to seek redemption.
2: Yes, yeah, so I think these people have to be quite high handed in their sin. This is um, flagrant, if you like. Um, that's how they get it as their label, their identity, that they are sinners. They're not just uh, people who um, uh, break rules from time to time. Now, obviously, everyone's a sinner. But the point is, these are Right. They, they do it with, with style. They are the polar opposite of the Pharisees. Pharisees mean separators. So they spend their time trying to separate from sin, which of course is tough when
1: it's inside you. Peter, I'm curious, why do you think so many people can resonate with this parable in particular? It seems like the majority of people I talk to, and you hear this message preached a lot in churches, and it, it feels like this is a story a lot of people relate to and are able to, to gather around. Is it because of The fact the intended audience is four different groups and everybody one way or another can relate to it. Well, it's Jesus is genius. But of course, the fundamental sort of family relationships, parent,
2: child uh, about authority. Uh, So there's uh, uh, one son who wants sort of liberation from authority, wants to get away and and try stuff on his own. This is something that so many children do. Then you've got a, a goody two shoes. Um, one who feels uh, righteous but doesn't actually love his dad, who's at home. You've got not only a relationship with the father, but also a relationship between uh, the brothers. We often know that uh, brothers, sisters growing up in the same family can be really very different. Um, And then you've got the change around where actually one of them comes back and uh, the older brother feels resentful about him being accepted. So I think it really speaks
0: to the basic, family dynamics we can understand. It sure does. Peter, um, as we're reading this story, and we've maybe read it a bunch of times, we maybe heard it in church, like Wyatt was saying, uh, the story of the, the lost son, the parable of the prodigal son, is a common story. What are we missing as we read it at face value?
2: Well, I th- I think there are lots of references to the Old Testament. So there's hardly a phrase that doesn't come from the Old Testament. And I think that's what scribes would have noticed, because that's one of the audiences. These are people who copied out the Bible by hand. So they went, when they hear a man had two sons, that can remind them, for instance, of Isaac, who is the most famous person to have two and only two sons. He had the older son Esau and then a younger son Jacob. And Jacob tricked the older one out of his inheritance. The older one's so angry, Jacob has to go into a far country and feed animals. Um, and that's in the story. And then w- when Jacob comes back, Esau runs embraces, and, and kisses him, just like the father in this story.
0: It's so funny how Jesus does that. He he takes the Old Testament and then he puts a t- like a twist on it now because he's come and things are different, right? And that just drives the Pharisees and the teachers of the law mad. And that's why they muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them, and then their hatred for him just continues to grow.
2: Yeah, well, Jesus knows the Bible better than they do. He understands it, and when you've got perfect understanding, you don't need to make up fancy words. You can actually simplify it, and that's what Jesus does. He speaks in a really simple way based on knowing everything. It's great.
0: Mm, It is so awesome. We're talking about the surprising genius of Jesus with Peter J. Williams on Afternoons with Bill Arnold. My name is Ben. It's so interesting, In Luke chapter 15 is what we're talking about today. About the three stories, really one parable, but you'll see in the Bible that it breaks it down into th- three different parables. But it's it's almost like a warm-up act, the, the two for the big one, the third one, the prodigal son. And, and then what I find interesting is the numbers kind of decrease as the mm-hmm. story goes on. What's the importance and the significance of that?
2: Well, one of 100 sheep lost, that's 1%. One out of 10 coins lost, that's 10%. The next percentage you could expect would be 100%. And it tells you that the younger son is lost. It never tells you the older son's lost, but it's implying it. And as there's rejoicing when the sheep is found, having been away from home, uh, as there's rejoicing when the coin is found at home, there's rejoicing when the uh, younger son returns uh, from being away. Using the Sudoku principles, you know how to fill in the missing ending. If that older brother would come in, there would be so much rejoicing.
1: Pierre, I'm curious, you said a couple minutes ago how it's just so simple and Jesus understood the Bible and preached it simply, and yet even today we still overcomplicate it and try and make it harder to understand than it really is. Why do you think we do this? Why can't we just simply understand it and just understand it is so simple?
2: Well, I think sometimes when uh, people are not secure in their knowledge, they like to sound clever and we do that by using long words and overcomplicating things and the best teacher jesus uh simplifies things he doesn't need to show off any knowledge he actually says to the pharisees that they take away the key of knowledge and a lot of intellectuals that's what they do they actually lock up knowledge behind clever words or clever sounding words uh, sometimes they're even just hiding their own confusion
0: tell me more about that
2: well, I mean, I I think when you don't understand the subject, you, you often waffle and you use uh, complicated uh, terminology and Jesus calls that out. And he talks to uh, the Pharisees and the scribes in Matthew, chapter 23, and uh, talks about how they're actually uh, locking uh, away uh, knowledge. They're blind guides, straining it and that st- uh, follow- following a uh, swallowing a camel and these sort of things. And. Yeah, there's there's a big problem. Jesus was convicted um, and condemned by the greatest um, academic body of his country, the Sanhedrin.
0: Hmm. How do you think Jesus was, um, you know, through his life, and we're in Luke chapter 15 today, and we're talking about the story of the prodigal son. How do you think Jesus was having conversations with these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, knowing how it's going to end, but really knowing how it's going to end?
2: Well, I mean, he, he he's full of love and he, he speaks to them. Uh, he uh, talks to Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee. He talks to lots of Pharisees and he actually wants to reach out to them. And I think even this story with its final 38 percent about the older brother and it's missing ending, not telling you how the older brother's uh, response is an invitation to people like that self-righteous older brother that they can respond the right way, that the, it, the, the final words of the parable are the father addressing the yeah. older son uh, and and telling him uh, that uh, everything's his.
0: Hmm. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio. We're talking about the surprising genius of Jesus in Luke chapter 15 with Peter J. Williams. I, I heard a sermon, uh, I don't know, maybe it was a couple years ago about the prodigal son, and actually the story and the focus of the prodigal son was on the, the older son, the son that you don't really hear a lot about in the story And how that can be convicting, because we find ourselves in that situation quite often. More with Peter J. Williams next on Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio.
3: What season of life are you in right now? Season of life. There are lots of ways to answer that question. So what season of life are you in right now? You may feel as if you are in a season of hopeful expectation or a season of desperation. You may feel as if you are in a dry season or a rainy season or maybe a season of abundance. Maybe this is a transitional season for you. What season of life are you in right now? Let me say first that you're not alone in whatever season you are in. And let me also say that God wants to meet you and be with you in that current season, even in that season of wilderness or dryness. And God wants to lead you through that current season to the next one. Discover what God is doing in your life now and where he's leading next at this year's Set Apart Conference for Women. It's March 8 and 9, at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can register today at setapartconference.com. That's setapartconference.com.
0: The Genius of Jesus. The surprising genius of Jesus, what the gospels reveal about the greatest teacher. Peter J. Williams is on afternoons with Bill Arnold this afternoon. My name is Ben on Faith Radio and we're in Luke chapter 15 and, and we're, we're talking about the story of the prodigal son and really the three parables that make up one big long story in, involving the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then of course the parable of the lost son. Peter, let's talk about, um, what the, you know The tax collectors and the sinners, we know they're there. The Pharisees, the teachers are there. What are some of the things that the scribes would pick up and all the references from the Old Testament that Jesus is just bringing out and teaching them?
2: So scribes copy out the Bible by hand. And when you copy something by hand, you know it really well. In fact, they're trained specifically to distinguish similar-sounding phrases and make sure they don't miscopy by misremembering. So they know the very wording of Scripture. So when they hear that the father runs, embraces, and kisses the younger son. They know there's only one time in the Mm. entire Bible you get that phrase. And that is when Esau, in Genesis 33, verse 4, runs, embraces, and kisses his younger brother, Jacob, uh, who had tricked him out of his entire inheritance. So in this story, uh, the father has given the inheritance to both sons. So when the younger son asks for his inheritance, he gives it to both. The older son's done really well out of this. But he's annoyed that the younger son might come back and seem to be having a bit of his share. Well, Esau lost everything, and he welcomed his younger brother. So that's an amazing reference and a really challenging reference uh, to have in there.
0: Mm, I think that just alludes to the surprising genius of Jesus as as to how he so simply draws the correlation, but then with a twist again.
2: Uh, Absolutely. And and of course, Jacob went out into a far country with nothing and came back with a lot. That's the opposite of the figure uh, in the younger son in Jesus's story. But there are lots of similarities and twists. For instance, the guy who says he's starving. Here I am dying of hunger. That's what the younger brother says. But that was what Esau said when he came in from the field and Mm. got tricked or all these years I've been slaving for you. That's what the older brother says. That's in fact what Jacob says in the Old Testament to his uncle Laban. Um, uh, I've I worked hard for your daughters and your flocks uh, and they're angry as they say it so you see these connections that there are and they they run throughout so the older son is um, complaining that no one ever gave him a young goat so he could celebrate with his friends but when this son of yours who came who, who devoured your livelihood with prostitutes came you killed the fattened calf for him well there are three words there friend, goat and prostitute If you're a scribe, you know, there's only one time in the Bible you get friend, goat and prostitute together. That's Genesis 38, the story of Judah and Tamar. Um, And that's the story of when Judah, from whom the Jews derive their name, was sexually misbehaving in the land when his younger brother, Joseph, was sexually behaving in a far country, uh, resisting Mrs. Potiphar.
1: So, again, it's very powerful. Peter, these connections we're making back to the Old Testament are fascinating. But let's say I'm somebody who's reading this story or is new to this. And, you know, I'm saying to myself, why is that really important? Does it change the way I should be interpreting and reading this passage? Why do these connections make a difference for me in this day and age?
2: Well, the, the great thing is it doesn't matter if you don't see any of them. So Jesus tells a story which will work in any culture. It's a simple story. If you're a runaway come back to the father, he'll welcome you. Mm. And it really does work. So I'm not wanting to say you need to see these references. I'm saying that this story really works for the tax collectors and sinners who don't spot it. But for those who are Bible experts, it's got deeper levels of challenge. So for instance, the father in this story runs, who's the first person to run in the Bible? It's the father figure, uh, Abraham. So when you say a man had two sons, yes, it can remind you of Uh, isaac it can remind you of abraham abraham first word from his mouth when he runs is quick that's genesis 18 verse 6 he then goes and get the fatted calf that's just like in this story abraham was welcoming complete strangers so that's that's a challenge in that so it adds something if you see it but it's an amazing wonderful story even if you don't see it so it's not uh it's really just showing the depth of it and the other thing is the Pharisees and scribes who had ears to hear, which I don't think many of them did, ought to know they're in front of someone who's way smarter than them and they need to shut up and listen. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and 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 that's so there's a sort of jaw dropping element, um, a silencing of opposition element to this. It's actually all of Genesis's greatest hits. So mm. I think it's uh, as. Tim Keller says it's just like the story of Cain and Abel, the the older brother out in the field, Mm. envious about the acceptance of his younger brother who tends flocks. It's the story of Joseph when he gets a ring and a robe. Suddenly, the younger son, that's the the only other time someone gets a ring and and a robe instantly is the uh, story of uh, Joseph. That's uh, and that's the only other son who was dead and alive again, as far as his father was concerned. So all of these stories uh, link back to Genesis. And that's that's an amazing thing.
0: And Jesus leaves the Pharisees and the scribes, what, just speechless? I mean, they they can the only way they can respond is to grumble and complain.
2: So I think there are different reactions. So they, they could be unimpressed. I mean, they might not spot the references. Uh, you know, I think sometimes when you're not expecting someone to be smart, you don't see how smart they are. Um, and Jesus doesn't wear his learning on his sleeves. Like, some people want to show off how much they know. He's really understated, if I can put it like that. So you actually have to listen, and this is what Jesus says: uh, last words of the um, chapter just before uh, Luke fourteen, the one let the one who has ears to hear hear. So you, may, some people may not listen and just may not be in, uh, impressed, but actually, come judgment day, all mm-hmm. the evidence is there. Others might have might have seen it and maybe they were convicted uh, and and knew they needed to respond.
1: Again, Peter, can you maybe explain why he chose to tell? Because there's three in this particular chapter, the lost sheep, the lost coin, then the lost son. Is there a particular reason, again, why he decided to do them in this order?
2: Well, I think there's there's a warmer packed element to it. So uh, sheep lost going away from home, um, coin lost at home, then son lost going away from home, and then son at home. And it implies that the son at home is lost. It also tells you uh, that there's, Rejo- rejoicing uh, with the lost sheep, the lost coin and the uh, the runaway son. So um, therefore, we know there would be rejoicing if that older brother responds in the right way. So I think that all works. Um, we know that Jesus said, well, humans are more valuable than sheep. So you start with what's less valuable, the sheep and the coin, and you build up to the humans. So it really is a climax that you have with this longest story
0: Jesus ever tells. Uh, with these two sons Mm. it's got to be so important Um, and Peter J. Williams is our guest on Afternoons with Bill Arnold my name is Ben here on Faith Radio and I as I'm listening to you just trying to uh, take it all in it is so fascinating trying to understand Um, my question for you is I see the same word lost lost and lost in the title of the three parables what's the Mm -hmm. significance of that
2: Well, I think we go astray and we have a wonderful uh, father who seeks us out. Now, of course, there's a beautiful balance between the sheep and coin stories where uh, uh, whether it's the shepherd or the woman goes looking for the coin and then the um, final story where the son returns. And uh, I don't want to overread it, but there's a balance between um, the emphasis on the human returning to god and god seeking out the human so i think that's that's all uh, going in but yeah we are absolutely lost without god
0: and then every single story basically ends with rejoicing that's right
2: and there's a, there's a foil of course where the older brother wanted to rejoice and celebrate with his friends without his father so it's the same word it would have been a much measlier um, uh, celebration. The other thing about uh, lostness is, of course, that's a big theme in Luke's gospel. And Jesus says in Luke nineteen, in relation to Zacchaeus, He's come and say uh, to seek and save what's lost.
0: Wow, wow! uh so grateful that time just flew by, and and there was so much wisdom there, and it's all in this book. It's really good. Peter J. Williams, thank you for your time. He's written this book. It's called The Surprising Genius of Jesus. And looking at Luke chapter 15 and all the correlation and the pointing back to the Old Testament throughout the entire book, what you just heard for the last 24 minutes, right in this orange book right now, what the Gospels reveal about the greatest teacher. Peter, thank you for joining Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Thank you. This is Faith Radio. How do you discount yourself? Are you not smart enough? Strong enough? Maybe you're too old. You know, God uses imperfect people in imperfect situations to accomplish his perfect will. For the longest time, I didn't think I could work at Christian Radio because I didn't have the Bible memorized. I'm not a pastor. And the list goes on and on. I mean, we all do this, right? You look in the Bible and you see Jacob was a cheater. God used him. Peter had a temper. God used him. David had an affair. God used him. Noah got drunk. God used him. Jen Green is a radio host and a speaker. She hosts Mornings on Life 107.1 in Des Moines, part of the Northwestern media group of radio stations, Christian radio stations around the Midwest and around the country. And she is a personal friend of mine, and I am so grateful that she's joining Afternoons with Bill Arnold today. Her story is she's not soft enough, She's not soothing enough or spiritual enough to be in Christian radio. But fortunately, God has a history of using difficult women. Jen, welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I would never call you difficult, literally (laughs) ever in my life.
4: Not to my face, you wouldn't.
0: (laughs) It's amazing. And so you've been on, uh, on this speaking tour just talking about difficult women and how they are in the Bible, and it's the most encouraging thing I've ever read. And I can't wait for the next 25 minutes as you teach us about how God worked through these women and how, as we have people listening right now, all over the United States and around the world to faith radio, how God wants to use them too.
4: Well, you're too kind, Ben. Thank you very much. And it's truly God who is amazing. Um, I grew up in a very conservative world, and women were expected to act and look and dress a certain way. Um, I'm also an oldest child, and so I desperately want to please. But at the same time, I was always a little bit outside of that box. I am um, very extroverted. Uh, I have definite opinions. I've been told I'm direct sometimes a bit loud. I have a very loud laugh, and I have been told all throughout my childhood and actually even into early adulthood that I was too, T-O-O, too, and then you fill in the blank, too direct, too opinionated, too emotional, too passionate. And I prayed so very hard on my knees next to my bed that God would change me. Uh, And you know what, Ben? He might have rounded a few corners, but he never did. He never made me quiet enough to be student of the week. But all those years later, I look back and I think to myself, if I hadn't been who I am because of how he made me, I would never have had a 21 year at this point career in radio. Hmm. So I'm pretty thankful that God didn't change my personality and make me quiet and shy um, the soft, soothing and spiritual thing comes from an actual phone call we got one day where a woman didn't know she was talking to me and she was complaining about the woman on the air. And she said she is not soft. She is not soothing and she is not spiritual. <laughs> she shouldn't be on Christian radio. And, you know, God knows what our are not. I'm sorry, not God, but uh, the enemy knows what our thin spots are. Wow. And he knew that that was one of my thin spots And he used that call as an attempt to hurt me. But fortunately, I had done my research and I have seen how God can use, quote unquote, difficult women and has. And actually, I think he takes great delight in doing it because I think God enjoys drama. I truly do.
0: <laughs> Jen Green's on Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio. You can just hear the joy uh, and the smile on her face as she tells these stories. And I, I can't wait till we get into them. And in fact, at Faith Radio, a couple months ago, we did an unexpected reading the Bible together series to look at the the five women in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter one. And, and we'll talk about most of them today, uh, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and um, Uriah's wife. And so, Otherwise like, known as Bathsheba. As Bathsheba. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. She's Isn't that great? She's Isn't the
0: mother it? of Solomon. Yes. Yeah.
4: I I don't know when I realized just how unusual it was that Matthew would include these women women at all in a genealogy. That just delighted the socks off of me, because the genealogies were used and they went through the father's line to prove a lineage. And at the beginning of Matthew, he's using that to prove the lineage of Christ. So for him to add a woman was a bit scandalous, really. But for him to add all the women that he did and the, the their lifestyle, the way that they were, I mean, it's pretty much nothing short of a, of a Jerry Springer show. I mean, look at the very first one, Tamar. I mean, the story of Tamar is so very spicy that I couldn't tell it on my morning show. <laughs> um, I have to be very careful when I tell it at a... And at a women's event, when I speak, I have to make sure that there are no children there under a certain age because her story is, it's salacious, I guess is what it is. Um, but God used Tamar uh, to show that he can use anybody, redeem any situation. And I also truly believe that he used Tamar and put her in the gene- genealogy of Christ as as his way of showing great mercy to a woman who had been horribly used by men. Hmm. That's that's, there's nothing theological to back that up. That is just my opinion because what greater honor.
0: Hmm. Why do you think God uses people like Tamar and me right there? Mm -hmm. I'm right there with Tamar in such a way that he does in such an, like uh, an unexpected way.
4: Well, I, I, as I said before, I truly believe that our God loves drama. I mean, those of us that have a sense of drama in the theater, arts, music, uh, in, in art that you hang on the wall, that feeling that you get, it's almost as though you've been touched by what? The divine. Mm. I think God uses drama because it makes for a great story. I mean, read the Bible. The Bible is the, it's the greatest story ever told, and all the little stories that are inside of it are incredible God loves using the underdogs, and in the culture that we're talking about, there was no greater underdog than a woman, and in Tamar's case, a childless widow, and God elevates the underdog because it makes it about him and not about them. Those are maybe just three examples of Mm. why I think God uses people the way that he does.
0: Right. In the line of Jesus, in the holy line of the son of God, the son of man, which is crazy. So Tamar uh, disguised herself as a prostitute, but let's go to Rahab, Mm -hmm. who was actually a prostitute. Yep.
4: Yep. When those spies needed to be hidden, where did they go? They They went to the red light district where they could rent a room by an hour. They went there and they uh, found a woman to hide them when the... Warriors came to her and said, where are they? She was like, oh, you know, I think I saw him go that way. And she pointed down the street and they all went. Why did she do it? They asked her, why did you do this? And she said, because I know the Lord, your God is the God and I want to be on his good side. And not only was she on his good side, she ended up marrying a man from Israel and she is in the genealogy of Christ.
0: It's mind blowing Jen. And how did, it is. how does she how does she know that God is the real God? She's not she's not Jewish, she's not part of the chosen people, right? She's a prostitute. She's living in sin. How does she know this? How does she respond well, in that way? I think
4: our definition of the chosen people might be a bit narrow sometimes Ben. Mm. I think that there are people chosen in all sorts of walks of life that may not look the part, but they certainly are and act the part.
0: Mm. Why did God use Rahab? Why did God Mm. use Tamar? I just keep asking those questions. Mary, I mean, Mary, Ruth, we can go down the line. Uh, The Mm. people in the Bible, why does God use them?
4: Well, I think God uses, I I think if you look at all of the religions in the world, if you look at all of the uh, systems that are in place, I think that God wanted to make sure that people saw him elevate women. In a time where most women weren't. I mean, a donkey had a higher going price than a woman did. In particular, women who were either indentured servants or slaves. Um, And God would not stand for that because that is not how God created us. He created us equal. And I think that he used the women that he used in order to give them a rightful place in his story.
0: When you look at the genealogy of Jesus, and the particular one we're looking at in Matthew chapter one, why do you think God used the women, uh, or Matthew used the women, obviously inspired, um, but instead of the, the fathers? I mean, because there's some pretty prominent men that <laughs> they chose. to. Wo- Matthew chose True. the women instead of the men. I mean, some of the men are prominent.
4: Well, remember that all scripture is given through the inspiration of God. Of So I truly believe that Matthew used those women because the Holy Spirit directed him to, Mm. and that's because of God. Again, a God that would use and write about women as mercifully as he does is a God that does not see two different sexes and considers one lesser, but that is the culture in which those women were.
0: Mm. We're going to talk about Ruth and we're going to talk about Bathsheba coming up next on Afternoons with Bill Arnold here on Faith Radio. But Jen, Jen Green, by the way, is a radio host. She's a speaker. She hosts mornings on Life 107.1 in Des Moines. She's amazing. If you get the chance to listen to her and Taylor, uh, <laughs> it's awesome. What would you say right now? I know there's, there's a, there's somebody listening right now that probably has to run in to grab their kid or g- get gas or is going through the drive through. Life is busy, right? Um, what would you say to that, that woman right now that's listening that just has two, two to three minutes and then she's got to go?
4: I want her to hear this, that your compulsion to be extroverted, uh, direct, opinionated, or maybe you have a daughter who is that way. You don't have to change in order to be used by God. In fact, God made you in that way, in his image. So there is a part of God that is emotional and opinionated and direct, and you are mirroring him, you, if you have a heart that is surrendered to the Lord, he will use you because of those personality traits, not in spite of them.
0: Mm. And you're here right now for just a time as this.
4: Yes. I have that on my wall, Ben. I have that exact quote on my wall. Yeah.
0: God has a big plan and a purpose for your life. Thank you for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. God has a history of using and I'm using air quotations. I don't need I don't need any emails. Difficult women on Afternoons with Bill Arnold. More with Jen Green next on Faith Radio. Receive a daily email featuring a scripture graphic. Sign up for this first-of-the-day email at myfaithradio.com. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. God handpicked each of these women and took each of these women through something different. They had trials and hard things. Yet God used it. He had a plan for it. And as we look at Matthew chapter 1 just so surprised and and in awe and wonder of the inclusion of four women from the Hebrew Bible in the lineage of Jesus when that was absolutely not the norm of the time. And we've talked about about Tamar, we've talked about Rahab. And go back and listen to this conversation if you're just tuning in right now. You can do that on demand anytime with the Free Faith Radio app or at at MyFaithRadio.com. Jen Green is a radio host. She's been doing radio for 21 years. She's a speaker. She hosts... Mornings on Life 107.1 in Des Moines. Let's talk about Rahab. Oh, excuse me. Let's talk about Ruth. One of my favorite books of the Bible. And and Ruth ended up um, in an unbelievable situation, but she found herself, well, she was a Moabite woman, right?
4: Yeah. She had married
0: an Israelite. So she, not only uh, was she not Jewish, she wasn't an an Israeli. She was an absolute outsider. She ended Mm -hmm. up losing her husband. And then joining her ma or her mother-in-law, Naomi, going back to Israel, it's just it's all kinds of craziness. And then how God redeemed her story blows my mind.
4: And there's parts of the story of Ruth that we don't really know. Um, and and I like to pick it apart a little bit. In the in the Israelite culture, a mother-in-law, especially after the father had died, the mother-in-law was truly the matriarch. And so in the scene on the side of the road where you've got Naomi, with her two daughters-in-law, and she's telling them, go home. That is a command. That's not her, you know, kind of passive-aggressively saying, well, I can leave and go all by myself. Or, no, she says, go home. And why does she say that? Because she loves them. It will be very difficult for them in Israel. They are Moabites and widows and childless. So she says, go home, go home to your family. And it says that they, they cry. Hmm. And then uh, eventually the one goes home and we kind of look down on her. But the fact is, is that when she went home, she was, she was obeying her mother-in-law. But then there's Ruth. And really I picture this. I picture Ruth stamping her foot a little bit on the side of the road and saying, no, I am not leaving you. I am I am staying with you. Your people are my people, your country, my country, your God, my God. And whatever happens, I'm with you. Putting her hands on her hips, shaking her head just a little bit and daring Naomi to say no, because that's what it would have taken. It was a direct it was direct disobedience. And Naomi's like, all right, come on. <laughs> so even at the beginning of Ruth's story, we see a woman who's a little bit outside of the norm. Um, And then a lot of people think that the story of Ruth is like a Hallmark movie. It's really not. It's really the story of two conniving women. I mean, (laughs) Naomi does an awful lot of conniving. She sends Ruth into a very um, not so nice place going to the threshing floor. That was not a place that was family friendly. That was a place where the men went to work after work and they caroused and they had companions that they caroused with. So sending her there was also outside the norm. Having him having her uncover his feet is essentially a little bit of a trap. But he was a he was a man of God and she was surrendered to Naomi's God. And so of course God redeems the situation and you also have Ruth in the lineage of Jesus and so many people's favorite book of the Bible.
0: Mm. So you basically have probably the three most unimportant people in the world um, by worldly standards,
4: <laughs> yes. right? Alongside at, the road. Yeah. At the
0: beginning, because they've all lost their husbands. They don't, they yeah. don't have any children. Um, two of them don't have any children. Uh, Naomi doesn't have any children left. And they're absolutely um, nothings compared, you know, it, when it comes to worldly standards. But yet God does amazing things. Yeah. And Ruth, I love how you said just kind of, you know, hand on her hip and her I just mm-hmm. her head wagging here. Yeah. Uh, she was poor. He was rich. Uh, she was a woman. He was a man. And yet just God just did this amazing thing. And then Ruth winds up in the lineage of Jesus.
4: Yes. She marries Boaz, a good man, and she gives birth to Obed, who becomes the father, who is the father of King David. Mm. Um, God can use difficult women. And when I say difficult, I hope you understand what I mean. Difficult in and of itself isn't necessarily the important part of the story. They're outside the norm. They're outside the box. But they are surrendered. And that is key because there's probably a lot of difficult women that we could point to in our culture that maybe God isn't using quite yet. If they surrender to him, they will be used. He will use them because He's got a track record. Mm. Just look at the Bible. I mean, there's a lot more than just the women that are in Matthew 1. If you look through the Bible, you see Abigail. Abigail was married to a foolish man who insulted King David's men. And King David was on his way to take care of it. And Abigail runs out of the house and intercepts a king. Okay, you didn't do that in that culture. And then using everything at her disposal, her feminine wiles, whatever, water, food, whatever, she soothes over the situation. And her husband died in 10 days, and eventually she became King David's wife. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a great story. (laughs) It's a great story. Deborah, I mean, we all know the story of Deborah the judge. You know, with the military commander comes to Deborah and says, I won't go into battle without you. And she says, okay, that's fine. But you won't get the glory for killing the bad guy. It's going to be a woman. And that's the story that we all know about JL, who puts a spike through the bad guy's head. And she ends up being the deliverer of Israel. I mean, that's there's two women in that story. And then I will tell you, The story that gets me every time, Ben, I mean, every time, is the story of the Samaritan woman. She went to the well at the heat of day because she didn't even want the other Samaritan women to see her because she'd been married five times. Now, in that culture, if she had been married five times, that meant five men had divorced her. She had been used very ill by the men in her world. And then here comes this guy in the heat of the day where nobody's supposed to be there. And he says, give me water. And she, she turns and she looks at him and she was, and instead of saying, okay, like most women should have in that culture, she pushes back and she's like, why do you want water from me? What are you doing here? <laughs> and she's not afraid of him. And Jesus ends up telling her that he is the Messiah At that point in his ministry, he hadn't told very many people that, but he also said that the only reason why he is there is for her. And then he ends up making one of the most amazing theological points of his ministry, and that is that he didn't just come for the Jews. He also came for the Samaritans. God God designed for a five-time divorced woman who was shunned by her people to be at a well in the heat of the day so Jesus could make that point and we could read about it thousands of years later. I mean, if that doesn't just blow your mind, I don't know what will. It softens my heart every single time I read that story. Mm.
0: Jen, again, Mm. I I want you to uh, connect with the woman who's listening right now that feels like the Samaritan woman.
4: Yeah. Well, you know, I kind of know how you feel if, if that's you. Um, I'm divorced. I'm single. I'm a single mom. I am sometimes loud. I'm sometimes brash. I'm sometimes extremely opinionated. I'm also sometimes very, uh, untrusting. I, I have to surrender that to God almost like every half hour. Basically. Uh, I wish I could say I've done it once and it was good, but no, it's, it's a daily thing. Surrender that to the Lord. Whoever you are, my sister, surrender that, and he will use it. First, he will heal you when you put in the work. Second, he will use it. And he uses it for Jesus's glory. He doesn't necessarily use it for your glory. But if you look at the Bible, you will see that he elevates these women to a position of power. And when I say that, I don't mean power like our world says. I mean power in the telling of the gospel, and there is no greater power than that.
0: Hmm. We're talking about how God uses air quotations here, difficult women. Um, (laughs) And I say that gingerly, uh, Jen. Jen Green is our guest (laughs) on Afternoons with Bill Arnold here on Faith Radio. Um, We're we're down to 90 seconds here. Okay. Uh, Mary Magdalene um, Mm. refused to be told to leave Jesus alone, washed his feet with a year's worth of wages in the form of perfume, or to abandon Jesus' tomb, she was honored to see him after his resurrection. Uh, the Canaanite, yeah, she wasn't
4: a very good listener,
0: <laughs> right? God used her, and the Canaanite yeah, woman too.
4: Oh, the Canaanites were hated by the Jews, but the Canaanite woman went to Jesus. She literally used his own words against him, and he smiles and he says, "Your faith will heal your daughter," and it does. It's incredible.
0: The women of the Bible. Show Mm -hmm. one thing for sure. What's that?
4: The one. God uses all. Mm -hmm. God is good. God will use anybody to tell his story. God wants to use you.
0: Don't discount yourself.
4: Right. That's true, too.
0: Jen Green. Thank Mm -hmm. you for joining us today on Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I am one of your biggest fans.
4: (laughs) Oh, Ben, you're so sweet.
0: (laughs) It's true. She's a radio host. She's a speaker. Her name is Jen Green. You can find her. What's your website? It's life1071.com. That's it. She does mornings on Life 107.1 in Des Moines. Thank you very much, Jen. Have a great night. Bless you. Take care. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio.